Welcome to the Families Under Pressure podcast series, brought to you by the Life Course Centre. Families Under Pressure explores the opportunities and the challenges, social, economic and structural, for families to provide the best possible foundations for children to realise their life's full potential. Hello and welcome to the Families Under Pressure podcast presented by the Life Course Centre. I'm Professor Matt Sanders and our guest today is Professor Mark Weston, Director of the Institute of Social Science Research at the University of Queensland. Mark is a sociologist who works on applied projects across social policy and issues of inequality. He's a former Chief Investigator in the Life Course Centre and a Fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia. It's very timely for us to have Mark join us today as he's recently launched the 2021 State of the Social Sciences Report at the Academy's 50th Anniversary Symposium on the Social Future of Australia. It's a really good report and well worth a read and I think it's really timely for us to have Mark here, and I look forward to digging deeper into the topic with you, Mark. Welcome. Thank you, Matt. I'm very pleased to be here, and thanks for the opportunity. Let's jump straight into it by looking at the State of the Social Sciences report that you recently launched. I wonder if you could give our listeners a brief overview of the purpose of the report and what it was really aiming to achieve. Yeah, thanks, Matt. What we wanted to do um, in this report was really to take a broad look at the social sciences in Australia, understanding that there's an ecosystem that goes much beyond universities. We often think about social science as something that only takes place in university teaching and research, but it's really a very large ecosystem which involves vet and the school sector, work in government, work in business and industry and the community sector. So we wanted to identify the size of it, the challenges that are facing it, and also some of the priorities going forward to talk about the kind of contribution that the social sciences already make and could make into the future. Um, We talked to hundreds of people around this. Yeah, just to clarify for our listeners, what is social science? I mean, lots of people have heard the term, but are sort of a little confused about what disciplines contribute to it and what is it? Yeah. So so social science is research and knowledge about our society and the way we live together in groups and interact with one another. So it focuses on the the events, the activities, the groups, the systems and structures that we see in society. The kinds of disciplines that we typically think about are very broad. They include disciplines like economics and sociology, psychology and geography, but also political science, public administration as well. It's a diverse sector. It brings together a lot of disciplines. And as I said, it also takes place across Australian society. So it's taught in schools, in vocational education and training, in universities and higher education. Research is undertaken by government, by universities, by industry. And we also find social scientists employed in all of these sectors of the economy as well. You've mentioned a pretty diverse range of disciplines and we don't always agree and we're not always on the same page. We sometimes have different theories and different priorities, different measures, different methodologies. Are there particular challenges associated with kind of bringing together these uh, diverse perspectives, but also strengths associated in doing so, in your view? 
Yeah, I think I think there are both strengths and some challenges. It's also important to recognise that there are probably some commonalities as well. And so one of the broad commonalities, I think, would be that all of the disciplines that we think of as comprising the social sciences take relatively systematic approaches towards the phenomena that they, they research, they study, they attempt to explain and predict. And so we have systematic methods for going out and investigating the world and using those to inform our insights. But there are challenges. And so different disciplines emphasise different kinds of things. And sometimes come up with different conclusions and 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 solutions. And sometimes they do indeed. But that's also part of the promise, I think, of the social sciences, because for very, very complex problems, such as problems relating to climate change or problems relating to how do we create supportive environments for um, families so that we can raise kind of, you know, strong and resilient young people. We need to draw on disciplinary perspectives that come from disciplines like psychology, but we also need to take account of the insights of disciplines like economics and and, and sociology. And, And so what we see, particularly around the formation of solutions, is an increasing importance, I think, of multidisciplinary approaches. One of the things that I've always felt uh, working in a university sector like you for many years, that this is one area that perhaps we don't train our students as well as we could in terms of interdisciplinary respectful collaboration, because there's a communicative engagement that's also required, isn't there, to be able to work with groups that are different from your own discipline base. There absolutely is, and, and, and I certainly agree with you, Matt. One of the things that we, we should be doing is to produce and support our students, and I'm thinking particularly of students, higher degree students like PhD students, but students more broadly, to, to have very strong sorts of foundations around their disciplinary knowledge and their methodological knowledge, but also the capacity to go outside their intellectual comfort zone. It's challenging for all of us, and and that means the capacity to work not only with different disciplines, but with different sectors. So how do we engage with communities when we're doing research? And how do we take account of and respect the knowledge and the expertise that communities have about the kinds of problems that we're investigating that relate to their day-to-day lives? So I think one of the things that's really important for training going forward is to create breadth and flexibility around our ability to work with different kinds of people in different contexts on a wide variety of problems. And the social sciences are good at that. Okay, just zeroing in now on why social sciences are so important right now. I mean, we're in a we're in a pretty amazing period in the, in the uh, in history of humanity at the moment. I wonder what your thoughts are around what is the kind of the unique and special contribution that the social sciences can make right now. So I think the social sciences have a really significant role to play in understanding and explaining the challenges that we face in in areas like rising social and economic inequality or supporting families and supporting children so that we enable kind of human flourishing, people to be able to realise their potential, live lives that they would lead. So the social sciences have a role in trying to understand those phenomena, but also very importantly, a role in the solution. Because the way in which we respond as a society to our challenges 
affects the kind of society we become and it influences the kinds of opportunities and life chances that people in that society have. And it also goes to our understandings about what kind of a society we want Australia to be. It's interesting when you start thinking about designing solutions that are fit for purpose and have a good ecological fit to context, it's almost impossible to envision a situation where a solution can be simply created in an ivory tower of a university without a really strong connection to consumers and end users and the community, as you were saying, but different groups define communities in different ways. What are your thoughts about how social scientists need to kind of nimbly move between the different sectors that are, in a sense, parties to this whole idea of developing a solution? So... I think we have shifted, I, I think, in, in the way we think about forming solutions. In the social science communities, and I see this more broadly as well in, in, in other discipline areas, there's an increasing recognition that around big challenges that directly affect people's lives, and we may be talking about, say, the introduction of new technologies like artificial intelligence, Unless we involve multiple sectors in the solutions that we develop, there is a real possibility that we will do harm. We will do damage. And, and you know, if, if I pick up on the artificial intelligence example for a minute, one of the things that we know is that tools that are informed by artificial intelligence and machine learning, for instance, can in many circumstances be better than human decision makers around certain kinds of tasks, such as prediction. And so in some quarters and some areas of social life, there is talk about using these kinds of tools to supplement human decision making to make decisions, for instance, about whether you proceed with, say, a child maltreatment investigation. Now, one of the things that we know as well about the way in which the implementation of these tools can happen is that if, if that is done without community involvement, community governance, due sort of process and accountability, then you can build harm into a process like that. You can exacerbate existing inequalities in the system. You can exacerbate existing inequalities in the data. And you can also create a, an environment where the solution is rejected, it's not accepted, and there's real protest about it. Exactly, where it's unacceptable and also where it's, where it's applied if it is applied in a coercive way. How do you configure, though, into the design of a solution that is going to be, if you like, place-based and ecologically and contextually relevant to a particular community are you saying that this needs to be done in every single community everywhere? Because if that were the case, it would be a very expensive solution. Yeah, no, and, and I'm not saying that. I mean, so, so the other part of, of developing solutions, and it's important to be clear about, you know, the level at which we're talking about solutions too. So a solution as a set of a program or a suite of programs that's going to be delivered in a specific place is a very different kind of solution from a broad policy solution like the introduction of paid parental leave in Australia was, for instance. Yes, indeed. So where we are talking about solutions that are essentially programmatic solutions that are implemented in context with specific populations, you know, we need to recognise the different contributions that different parties make. So the first thing is that social scientists are critical 
in designing and developing programs, for instance, in a way and testing and evaluating them in a way that is rigorously informed by evidence so that we can understand whether or not they're effective and the conditions under which they are effective. So for whom are they effective under what circumstances? And whom they're not effective for. And who they're not effective for. When we understand some of those things, then we can think about implementation in real-world settings in specific places. And we can have, again, methodologies for doing that in the same way that if we were talking about health, we would have methodologies for the design and development, say, of a public health intervention and then the mass population rollout of it. And at each stage of this process, there's a role for social science, but in In the context of communities where there is, for instance, deep and entrenched disadvantage that has persisted for a very, very long time, where those communities are also located in places, and we do know that there are places in Australia where we have seen 20 or 30 years of entrenched disadvantage, where we may have very high levels of unemployment and joblessness across the household structure, not just amongst sorts of individuals. There, I'd say that you do need to do more to think about how you tailor and design programs for those very, very difficult contexts. And one one of the things that we know about these highly disadvantaged places where there is deep and entrenched disadvantage is that there's also often been an awful lot of service delivery going. There's been a lot of investment, and yet it appears not to have been effective. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that we've got multiple programs that are all being applied more or less independently of one another without any sort of attempt to connect them all up. And the other thing is that they're often applied in a way that is top down and doesn't involve real sort of consultation and engagement with those communities to tweak those programs. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the agencies and organisations that are deploying their intervention suites, they have difficulty with sustaining themselves as organisations. Funding is insecure. And so planning for sustained high quality implementation of evidence-based practices is a huge challenge, but it's just got to be addressed. It absolutely does. And it's got to be addressed particularly for the places and the communities and the families where we see the most pronounced sort of disadvantage and the most enduring long term. So where we're talking about intergenerational, for instance. And place, of course, can change. The same place can be gentrified and people move in and move out. So, And of course, the population of families who are raising their children at a particular point in time, 10 years later, the kids are now teenagers or at a different stage of development. Exactly. So exactly. place yeah. itself is uh, not a static kind of concept, yeah. is it? No, it's not a static concept, but I think one of the things that we also do know is that there are some places in Australia where we have seen, you know, 20 or 30 years of this kind of entrenched disadvantage. And then there are other places where the circumstances do change and where the places also serve certain kinds of functions, for instance, enabling social mobility. So, you know, we know that there are places in Australia that have served, in a sense, as sites of upward social mobility, for instance, for migrant families who then sort of come in, are able to build lives, often for the next generation. And, and you know, those young people then then sort of move, move out. Okay, just turning for a moment to some of the challenges that were identified in the report. It identifies seven grand challenges for social sciences. I wonder if you could run us through a couple of these and any ones that you'd particularly like to highlight or emphasise, and we can have a bit of a discussion about that. 
Yeah, we, we, we did identify seven, as you said, for society. And this isn't an exhaustive list. It's really the list that came up out of our consultation. Probably at the top, we would identify what we call a democratic deficit. And this is the erosion of democratic principles and systems, not only at the national level in countries, but also in, in smaller scale levels. So it's really associated with things like the rise of authoritarianism, populist politics, but we see the erosion of democratic principles, as I said, at national and, and also at sort of local scales. We talked about genuine reconciliation with Australia's First Nations peoples as a priority. And, and we see that because that is, frankly, an unresolved issue. And uh, we don't seem to be making progress around education, around health, you know, around life expectancy. We're not making progress on these issues. But we also haven't had a genuine sort of reckoning, I think, with Australia's past. We talk about addressing rising inequality and deep and persistent disadvantage. And this is obviously a core kind of focus for the Life Course Centre and has been since its history. And we also talk about the future of work would be another one that I would pick in the face of things like automation, AI and machine learning. I'm not good at selecting that. So I would also say that we do have an opportunity post-COVID to really think about the kind of society we would like Australia to be and to take some of the lessons of the COVID response and see whether they are actually generalisable and continuable as we move to a post-COVID recovery. So these are the challenges that have been identified and now we need to start thinking about, well, what do the social sciences need to be doing differently to tackle these challenges? Because I think for a lot of people out there, the big sort of wicked problems of the world seem so complex. They are so kind of multidimensional, they're so large in scale that I think a lot of folk just feel almost overwhelmed by our capacity to make any difference on these. Yet I'm sure you would say if we took into account the contribution of the social sciences a little bit more, many of these problems we could tackle. So I wonder if you could reflect on for a moment anything about what you think is going to be needed to meet any of these challenges in the sea of complexity. Sure. But, but before I do that, Matt, I, I guess I'd also like to pick up on, on the point you raised, which is that these are kind of grand challenges. They are, if you like, public problems. But one of the things that the social sciences have tried to do is to demonstrate that these public issues really become private troubles for people. So when we talk about, you know, the future of work, we aren't simply having an abstract sort of conversation about the quality of work in Australia going forward. We are having a, a, a real conversation about the kinds of jobs that people may or may not be able to get, whether they will have, you know, employment security, a decent wage from one, you know, one day to the next, the conditions under which they undertake their work, whether it's meaningful or valuable. Likewise, when we talk about the democratic deficit, you know, this is not an abstract sort of conversation about the way in which we elect politicians. This is a real question about who gets to have a say in the kind of society that Australia or other societies might be. What you've raised there is the issue that the problem can be experienced at a kind of a wide sort of policy level, but it does translate into the lived experiences of people on a very personal level on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, you think about kind of 
people who are worried about their employment and or the the kind of work they have and the level of stress that they're under those transition times where if you're a parent and you've got you're leaving for work and you're transitioning from home to work and then work to home. I mean, if you've had a conflictual engagement with your kids before you leave for work, you can carry that into the workplace. If you've had problems at work and you've got high levels of stress, you can carry it forward into the family conversations at the end of the day. And your availability psychologically to relate to your kids, to speak to your partner and so on. So when we're talking about these problems they're experienced at multiple different levels, aren't they? They absolutely are. And, and you know, you, I, I agree with you completely, Matt. I mean, we know that if parents are feeling sort of, you know, financial stress or they're worried about their ability to pay the rent or to pay the mortgage or, or to hang on to their jobs, feed the kids, we know that that translates into the ways in which they sort of parent at home. We know that it affects relationships between the parents and relationships with the kids. In the same way, you know, we know that kids who come from families where there's financial insecurity, there is stigma associated with that and they try to manage that in school in different ways. In research that I've done in another part of my career, you know, we found that kids from low-income families, for instance, would not tell their parents about school excursions because they knew it would simply put extra pressure on household budgets. And that has then consequences, you know, for those young people's education. So these fears of, of life that we think about are interconnected, but these big changes at the sort of societal level, the only reason, frankly, we care about them is because they impact directly on the everyday lives of people in the society and, and also, you know, they, they impact globally. Look, just going back to the question of what social science needs to be doing to be tooled up already or have the capability to contribute optimally to the solution of many of the, the, the problems that we've been talking about. I mean, are there any persisting or residual problems that have to do with the funding of social science that really gets in the road of our capacity to make the contribution we're capable of? There are some challenges, I guess, around the level of funding of social sciences. To be blunt about it, I where I think the funding matters in universities particularly is actually around the support for teaching. You know, when I think about the impact of the social sciences in universities, which is where I sort of think about it most commonly, the biggest impact that we have, frankly, is through our teaching. I actually, you know, someone who's directed a research institute for the last 13 years, I actually think teaching is the fundamental activity that universities engage in. But the impact we have through teaching is because that's how we affect the day-to-day lives of people directly. So, you know, in Australia, there's about 4 million people with social science qualifications and those in universities. Those are the educational foundations of, you know, their lives and, and their employment. So one of the things that the government has done, I think, is to signal very, very clearly that it does not value the social sciences in universities it's signaled that through the Job Ready Graduate Scheme. And what it's done through Job Ready Graduates is to say that because a number of our disciplines are not perceived to be linked to the employability of graduates, the government will pare back its funding, the government support for students undertaking degrees in those areas, and it will dramatically increase the cost on 
student. So it increased the private cost. So this is a really significant issue that you've raised here. And I'm, I'm just wondering, to what extent do you feel the situation would change in terms of the valuing of the contribution of the social sciences if there was just greater knowledge about what it is the social sciences do and how they contribute to it? The fact that you've talked about the level of employment of social scientists Do you think government and the community in general can make better use of that social science knowledge, given the huge number of people out there who've had training? Well, well, part of it, part of it, I think, is is recognising that they already do. And Mm -hmm. and the social sciences perhaps need to be better at talking about this. So, as I said, you know, there are about three and a half, four million graduates with social science university qualifications who are using their knowledge in their day-to-day jobs. There's also another five, about 500,000 of those who are working in the social science profession. So these are accountants, psychologists, lawyers, teachers. There's another 750,000, 800,000, more than that actually, in universities, but there's also a very, very large number who receive vocational educational training in areas like commerce, business, accounting, and areas of education that are taught through TAFE. So the first part of it, you know, when we think about who's working in government, who's working in big industry sectors like the financial services sector or the social services sector, we're thinking typically about people who've received some form of social science training. So that is a really important part, I think, of the story that we need to tell. The other part of this is that social science research is shaping not only how we address these broad grand challenges, it's shaping in a very concrete way the things that teachers do in schools or the things that early childhood educators do or the things that clinical psychologists do. All of these activities are shaped by this professional practice is shaped by the research that we do and the research that we do can also tell us whether or not these things are effective, whether they work. The other thing that I'd just add there is that the knowledge base is always evolving and changing and it needs to be adapted to the current generation of people who are, you know, transitioning into becoming families and or becoming parents uh, because the challenges are not identical across each successive generation. We've got a federal election coming up. As a social scientist, as a leader in this area, are there any messages that you would like out there that politicians consider and reflect upon in terms of making better use of the social science knowledge base we've been discussing today? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think there are a number of things. I, I think one of the things I would encourage decision makers to recognise is that many of the areas that they are interested in that they perhaps see as being largely technical areas are actually ones where the social sciences have a very, very significant role to play. We have talked about areas like climate change and sustainability, but we haven't talked about that in practice. One of the things that we know around climate change is that it inevitably will involve economic transition for Australia as we think, for instance, about transitioning from fossil fuels. And one of the critical challenges for that is how do we share the costs of that transition in a way that is fair and equitable and doesn't see it being unduly borne, for instance, 
by certain communities or certain population groups. And the social sciences have a role. And frankly, that's the only way that we can get to effective political solutions is to recognise that we need, we need a fair and equitable transition. And so the social sciences have a role in that. The social sciences have a role, for instance, in helping us to understand how we can improve our education system, because we have consistent evidence that suggests that at school, Australia has been falling behind some of the countries that we like to compare ourselves with on the effectiveness of the educational system. And social sciences do have a role to play around that, not simply about talking about what goes on in school, but thinking about education holistically from the way in which we design sort of education systems to the way in which we support parents and families. So the message in a snapshot to policymakers is what? The message in a snapshot is that most of the things that policymakers, most of the questions that policymakers care about could be improved with the addition of some good social science around understanding and conceptualising the problem and helping shape the solution. I couldn't agree more. So that's probably the, uh, a good point to wrap up. So I'd just like to thank you, Mark, so much for your time today. It's been great to have you with us. And I've really enjoyed this discussion on the future of social science in Australia. Thanks, man. And I encourage people to take a look at the 2021 State of the Social Sciences report at the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia website, socialsciences.org.au. I'm Professor Matt Sanders, and keep listening to more episodes of the Life Course Centre's Families Under Pressure podcast series coming soon. You've been listening to Families Under Pressure, a podcast series from the Life Course Centre. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your family, friends and colleagues and subscribe to Families Under Pressure wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to sharing more episodes and insights from our experts within and associated with the Life Course Centre. For more information on the research and activities of the centre, visit lifecoursecentre.org.au.